Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining our event today. Uh, What's the oil rush in Somalia? My name is Jess Watkins and I work for the Middle East Centre and the Conflict Research Programme at the LSE and I'll be chairing the event today. The Conflict Research Programme is a three-year programme funded by FCDO, formerly DFID. Uh, it works across Iraq, Syria, DRC, South Sudan and Somalia and it's now in its final year. Uh, our topic today concerns the political dynamics surrounding oil and gas prospects in Somalia. Um, and in fact, our presenter, Joachim Gundel, wrote a blog on this subject a few months ago, which has the highest readership of all our blogs produced by the CRP over the last three years. So before we start, um, I'd like to mention that the CRP Somalia program will also be hosting another event uh, online next month on the 10th of October on the Galkayo peace agreement. And of course, you're welcome to attend that. As for the format for today's event, um, the main presentation will be by Joachim and will last between 15 and 20 minutes, um, followed by some short responses by our three panellists. And we'll turn to Q&A after that, where you, the audience, can pose questions for the Q&A. Um, and feel free to um, start posting your questions during the presentations. The, record the event is being recorded today. Um, so just to introduce our panellists. Uh, Joachim Gundel is the recipient of a small grant from the Conflict Research Programme and a well-known voice on Somali issues. He's worked in and on Somalia for over 20 years in different capacities, including as a member of the UN panel of experts on Somalia and Eritrea. Very welcome today, Joachim. Uh, we're also joined by Dr. Mohamed Gass. Mohamed has a PhD in Development Studies from Norwegian, Norwegian University of Life Sciences and he's worked in various research capacities on the Horn of Africa and Somalia and has published on a number of themes including in areas of peacebuilding and piracy. Welcome also to Abdeslam Mohamed who is an economist and a PhD candidate at the Adam Smith Interna Institute, University of Glasgow. He's worked in Somalia for the United Nations Development Programme as a consultant. Finally, a warm welcome to Dr. Claire Elder, who actually isn't here yet, but she'll be joining us shortly. Um, she's a fellow at the LSE at the Centre for Public Authority and International Development. Claire completed her PhD at the University of Oxford in 2019, and before that she worked for the International Crisis Group in Nairobi. Her research is on diaspora politics, transnational governance and business state relations in Somalia. So welcome to all of our panellists and also to you, the audience. Um, and I'm just going to pass it over to Joachim. Thank you very much, Jessica, for the good introduction and the presentation. So I will skip that part on my, on my own part. So uh, I had the, the opportunity uh, given by the Conflict Research Programme to uh, dive a little bit into uh, what's actually going on with the oil sector and uh, the prospects for oil in uh, in Somalia and debt relief uh, in regards to uh, the research theme in the program, which is about uh, the political marketplace. So basically, we've been trying to look at what are the implications of uh, the future prospects of oil in Somalia on the political uh, marketplace. Uh, that takes us through a lot of uh, a lot of issues. Um, now, many might want to know whether there actually is uh, petroleum in, uh, in Somalia, 
to what extent it's true or not, etc. I'm not really going to uh, dive so much into that aspect other than uh, stating that, well, I mean, a lot of efforts has been made uh, and different parties are trying to get into, uh, into the picture, which basically is evidence enough for, for the notion that uh, there is petroleum, right? So um, just, uh, I'm just trying to get this one up on top of the screen. I hope everyone can see uh, uh, the map. So uh, basically, uh, this is kind of a generic map based on all the, the findings that, uh, that are there, uh, which basically shows that uh, there is offshore uh, potentials and there is uh, onshore uh, potentials. And most of the onshore were investigated in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and uh, the offshore was investigated by first by the summer oil arrangement and then by the uh, Spectrum, which is also a Norwegian survey company in, in 2014 and 2015, respectively. And uh, this led to uh, conclusions that the prospects were sufficiently promising uh, for actually starting to, to, to uh, organize the, uh, the oil sector uh, more uh, operationally. So, Nevertheless, there has not been any really big uh, oil strikes yet. So in terms of whether it actually is going to, to, to take off and uh, how costly it's going to be to explore for the petroleum and gas that might be, uh, is, still, is still something that is to be seen. Nevertheless, the belief is strong enough for both various Somali and external actors to pursue oil exploration. In the past, uh, we would have seen a number of uh, oil concessions uh, that was given before the Civil War. And uh, this map shows uh, approximate locations of, uh, of these old uh, areas. So um, this is one of the components that had to be clarified because when the state collapsed, then all of these uh, concessions by the oil majors basically uh, went into force majeure which means that they, uh, once the Somalia state came back together, then they would uh, claim the, uh, the rights to continue the exploration in these areas. So this is one of the, the, the issues that has been uh, outstanding. In the meantime, there has been um, a long uh, period of... Um, of stalemate, so to speak, uh, where it has come down to the different various regional administrations, Puntland, Somaliland, uh, the Galmaduk area, etc., who have tried to engage various uh, oil companies in, in, in their uh, uh, prospects of trying to, 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 to exploit the, the natural resources. But that comes to a change in 2012, and I will get a little bit further back to that uh, later. Um, in 2020 February, uh, Somalia finally saw uh, a, a new thorough petroleum law being passed in, uh, in the government. It was passed through the two legislative chambers and ratified by the president. Still, and uh, this is one of the elements of the analysis, it turns out that 
the legislative framework for licensing and management, etc., is still not complete. It's still not ready. Uh, there's, for instance, an entity which is sponsored by the uh, World Bank and the IMF and the donors, uh, which is called the Financial Governance Committee. And uh, the Financial Governance Committee, in its most recent report that was issued in June, actually points out some of the missing elements. Uh, and I will come back to, to, to some of that later in the presentation. Uh, oil also became parts and parcel of the process of uh, the debt relief process because uh, the gas futures and the oil futures are vision to uh, be key for Somalia's future ability to pay back on future loans that will be opened up once uh, the, the relief completion point has been passed in a couple of years. Mm. Um, although direct benefits and flows from the oil sector uh, so far has been very little uh, because there's no real production being taking place, the prospects uh, nevertheless still play an important role in the political marketplace for various reasons. Uh, the sector has been driven forward by uh, a combination of external forces, uh, interests from various different types of oil companies, uh, but also from, uh, from, from, from major states who um, have not been going about it in a direct manner, but you know they have kind of have their indirect interests in which uh, are motivating a lot of their uh, interventions in, uh, in Somalia. Um, there's also a lot of work, and I mentioned that, to be done in regards to finishing the regulative and legislative framework. For instance, the resource sharing agreement, even though it was agreed on in 2018 in Baidoa, which is the resource sharing agreement is a basic agreement which the leaders of the different federal member states and the federal governors of Somalia uh, came together and agreed on how the basic natural resources should be shared in Somalia. That has, in principle, been written into uh, the petroleum law, uh, but uh, the resource sharing agreement, however, uh, has some outstanding issues and kind of some inbuilt uh, 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 elements, which means that it's most likely going to be come under pressure again, and it's most likely going to be uh, needed to be renegotiated. Furthermore, in the agreement, it was also uh, agreed that there has to be established a natural resource commission, uh, which has not been done yet, uh, which is to settle resource sharing issues as they go along. And uh, if that is going to be set up, most likely the Baidoa agreement needs to be renegotiated as well. So it can't be a fixed agreement. Uh, the production sharing agreements. Uh, the production sharing agreements are vital uh, for the point of uh, entering into contracts with the oil companies that are interested in exploring for oil. Now, the production sharing agreements are still outstanding. Although uh, the petroleum law was ended, although the uh, government, the Ministry of Petroleum, already have launched the oil licensing round, which happened in, uh, in August, uh, the actual model production sharing agreement has not really been passed. It hasn't really been uh, finalized, which means that's one of the major important instruments that is not ready and in place yet. And as the Financial Governance Committee points out, uh, it needs to be um, 
uh, aligned with the procurement law because the procurement law clearly states that uh, concessions and natural resources and in the oil sector in particular has to be following the principles of the procurement law as well. So that can be left to the Minister of Petroleum, it can be left to the newly established Somalia Petroleum Authority. Mentioning the Somalia Petroleum Authority uh, is uh, a controversial element uh, due to the way that it was uh, appointed right after the dismissal of the former Prime Minister, uh, Hassan Kaira, uh, under, uh, because the, according to the Constitution, uh, paragraph Article 974, uh, once a Prime Minister has been dismissed in the way that uh, the Prime Minister was dismissed, uh, basically the cabinet is dissolved automatically, which means that until a new prime minister has been appointed, uh, the government cannot appoint any new commissions. And it was not only the Somalia Petroleum Authority this happened to, it happened to the Justice Service Commission, it happened to uh, the uh, Anti-Corruption Commission uh, that was being set up. So all of these are uh, uh, considered controversial. Uh, and uh, can be elements of, uh, of dispute amongst the Somalis, not at least in the common time. So all of that is part of the legal side that questions uh, how wise it is to pursue uh, the oil licensing round when there are so many uncertainties uh, out there. The study itself shows that the potential of uh, flow of future oil resources uh, is come to a point where it has already, even before uh, profit has actually been able to come out of it, uh, it has already become a major token of transaction in buying loyalty, in compliance, in the games that are taking on in the political marketplace. And this is partly because uh, gaining control over the future resources is open, is important to, to the actors. So they're thinking, actually thinking ahead in the sense that we need to be the ones, we need to have our people in, uh, in the system that is uh, coming up. The institutions that's going to be established, we need our people to be in there. This opens uh, the actors' uh, potential access to informal flows and resources from foreign actors who want to access the oil deposits. Secondly, uh, a lot of the debt relief uh, efforts has been concentrating on uh, one of the key benchmarks that was used was uh, Somalia's ability and the increase of, uh, of uh, resources of um, taxation uh, and uh, raising uh, domestic, uh, domestic revenue. However, the more that is going to be institutionalized and the more that is going to be um, progressed on in terms of, uh, of good governance, more interest may grow in terms of accessing uh, oil resources because they might actually be easier to divert and siphon off from the formal flows than direct taxation is. Now, why is it important to say that? And that is because uh, one of the key aspects of the political, um, I wouldn't say system, but you know, the, the, the political dynamics, the, the, the political way the Somali politics works, uh, is that it's entirely dependent on the flow of, of money and resources. 
And uh, we're going to see that again uh, for the third or fourth or fifth time uh, in the upcoming uh, elections. I wouldn't call them elections, I would call them selections. Uh, because it all comes down to a question of who selects the selectors. And this is, in this process, money plays a major role. Not only uh, in terms of uh, you have to pay in the new agreement that just came up, you have to pay $10,000 uh, to be able to, 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 to stand for, for the parliament and 20000 for the upper house. So the candidates, they need to get this money paid. They don't necessarily always have it. They will have sponsors that they will need to repay. Uh, furthermore, uh, to get your support, money flows. I mean, it's, it's a public uh, secret. And uh, oil, most likely, is already playing a part of this game. And there's a hope that the, the oil licenses might uh, play into uh, to the hands who might control this in uh, the political processes that are to come. Geostrategically, Somalia is returning more and more to the, to the scene uh, for, for various reasons, uh, partly because of the location uh, of the entry into to, to, uh, Aden and the, uh, the access to the Suez Canal. Uh, the piracy issue showed the importance of, uh, of that. Um, but increasingly, petroleum and, um, and the gas can be a strategic resource to to be uh, to be um, in terms of it's very important to gain control of, uh, but even if you're not going to explore immediately, it can be a future reserve uh, once other reserves starts falling out. And even though the world is changing towards sustainable uh, types and other types of energies. Uh, it's most likely that there will still be a need of uh, petroleum for a long period of time. And uh, the other aspect is that as the American and the Chinese rivalries are increasing and China having very limited direct uh, oil resources, the Chinese interest uh, is going to play uh, an important role. Um, and in that regard, the objective interest of the United States, for instance, would be uh, even though they would not necessarily go directly into investing in oil production right now, uh, they might want to prevent the Chinese taking control of it. Uh, other new actors in the game are the uh, Gulf states, Qatar and United Arab Emirates, Turkey, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, and I'll mention the United Kingdom in a, a little bit later, but these are some of the, uh, the major, the major uh, interests. There has been a rivalry between Qatar and, uh, and the Emirates uh, in Somalia in particular, uh, in which they have been competing, uh, supporting different sides uh, in the political process, uh, making uh, major, major investments. Uh, the UAE has made major investments in the ports in Babara, in Somaliland, in the port of Postaso. Uh, the Turkish are promising a major investment in uh, the Hobyo port. Uh, and all of these are uh, strong elements in, in, um, in uh, the issue of, uh, of oil and politicking at the same time. So, apart from the security risks, uh, in Somalia, it's protracted the armed conflict uh, with Al-Shabaab. 
the political instability and the lack of functional political administrative institutions uh, that are risks that may hold investors back. Uh, and although uh, oil and gas contracting still needs full compliance with Somalia's legal framework, uh, and that Somalia is not quite ready for managing oil production and resources, Somalia has still been pushing ahead for various reasons. The Financial Governments Committee flagged oil licensing in its report in 2020 as a major procurement risk. So, the, and the, the controversial appointment of the SPA board uh, is another example of the political immaturity of the Somali institutional capacity uh, and pushing it ahead uh, raises the suspicion that, you know, this is being done for political reasons uh, and for the reasons, as I mentioned, that uh, the incumbents might be seeking uh, early early payoffs, um, and these payoffs, uh, in terms of of contracting, uh, one of the immediate uh, uh, benefits that can come from licensing is what they call the signing bonuses, and the uh, uh, signing bonus can, for instance, be on the value of two million dollars. And uh, that in itself may not sound considerably much, but in terms of uh, an election period and uh, the need to, to, to spin off uh, uh, promises and, uh, and, uh, and, and benefits in an election period, uh, it can actually uh, contribute substantially to changing uh, quite a number of uh, votes and uh, winning uh, seats in, in the coming parliament. Right. So we are talking about control over the future potential hydrocarbon resource extraction in the long run and ensuring signing bonuses and fees and informal political funds in the short to uh, immediate run. Um, the paper issues a little bit more details on, uh, on these issues. Uh, however, um, the, um, uh, there's quite a number, we came across quite a number of issues that can be mentioned, you know, that can be names that can be mentioned, uh, and that's actually not the purpose of, uh, of, uh, of the, this, this, uh, this research to, to point out, you know, who's been the wrongdoers. Uh, what what is important here is that that the process of uh, that we have seen with establishing an oil regime in in Somalia is that it's not clearly still uh, opening up for the potential of building institutions rather than uh, contributing further and to deepening uh, the political type of marketplace and the problem with the political type of marketplace is that. Uh, it generates interest in the political sector, which is to maintain their power, which requires informal flows, rather than focusing on the institutions that can limit their control of, the, of those flows. Uh, and as long as there's not powerful enough uh, forces to, to do that, uh, then it's hard to see how uh, Somalia will be progressing uh, in, in, towards a path that will lead it out of this. Um, let's see. So the current logic in the political marketplace is that it is more important to have your people in control of the emerging institutions than establishing functional institutions that follow the principle of good governance. 
this is what happened with the Somalia uh, Petroleum Authority. Uh, it was also uh, very part of an important part of uh, the infights that were there that involved the former uh, Prime Minister Hassan Kaira, who became known because he had a strong stake in the Soma oil arrangement. Uh, and uh, I need to mention the Soma oil arrangement because it's actually uh, an example of uh, how things can go wrong uh, when the when there is not a proper and strong uh, legislative framework to follow, when there is not a, uh, a strong enough uh, control uh, with the sector, uh, and you know when when you enter into a uh, agreement with an oil company, which is not even an oil company at the time, and it was probably pushed forward by um, most likely United Kingdom, and uh, and. And uh, where uh, parts of the arrangements, uh, although uh, some of the interviews that we made, you know, or some of the actors involved at the time, you know, justified it by, uh, by, by, being, by the fact that we could not say no to the arrangement because we have so little resources in the field. And here comes this oil company that helps us with, with information and helps us to make a survey. And they want something in exchange. And uh, one of the things I wanted in exchange uh, was a number of uh, oil blocks. And I'm just going to, uh, before I end the presentation, I'm just going to uh, share with you a, um, a map uh, that shows the issue. Uh, yeah, so um, if everyone can see uh, this map. Yeah, so this is a map which uh, basically shows uh, the blocks that are uh, for sale on the oil in a new oil licensing round. That's uh, the blocks that are numbered 152, 153, uh, which are related to Galmoduk, 164, 165, which is related to the state of Hirschebeile. 177, 178, which are related to the Southwest state, and 204, which is related to Jubaland. Now, what is interesting here in regards to the Soma oil agreement, and Soma oil is now called coastal exploration, is that uh, after they did their surveys uh, and part of the agreement, they wanted to have up to 12 blocks of their choice uh, to choose to make product uh, production sharing agreements with. And uh, this, this agreement was never really put forward in public. It was never really, uh, there was no really um, any uh, transparency around it. And uh, it has basically cast a deep shadow over the Somalia oil sector. So one of the things that a future and a new government really need to do is to clarify this agreement. What is actually the status of the entire Somali public knows? Uh, what is going on, because as long as that is not being done, uh, the, the future oil sector is going to be uh, covered in, uh, in, on, in, in lack of transparency and uh, perceptions, the misperceptions, and uh, uh, it will remain in the sphere, in a very opaque sphere, basically. So, um, yes, I think my time is about to be up, isn't it? So uh, I'm going to leave uh, it to the commentators. 
And uh, just to say that, uh, I mean, there are more details to discuss, and uh, yeah, I will be very happy to, um, to answer any questions that's going to come around in, during the Q&A. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Joachim. Um, okay, yeah, so we are going to uh, turn it over to our discussants. So um, Mohammed uh, is going to kick us off. I think the discussants will take around five minutes each. Um, so if you'd like to um, take the stage, take the floor. My, my friend uh, Jakob has uh, presented a quite interesting, you know, aspect uh, relating uh, to Somalia's uh, oil and gas exploration and on production possibilities in the future. Uh, it, his presentation analyzed various challenges uh, brought by the institutional weakness, regulatory issues, and politics that can generate challenges and risks involved in the undertaking of uh, Venturing and, uh, and licensing and production, uh, the production of uh, Somali oil and gas. Then the question becomes: Is, is Somalia ready for, for 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 this? You know, is Somalia ready, or whether Somalia is ready for going ahead with oil and gas licensing and eventual production? If, uh, then this question is. Uh, highly contested, and different experts advance different views that are largely pessimistic. Uh, however, I personally believe that Somalia is ready for 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 for, for the production of of oil, and this is not because of uh, I mean that, and because of I underestimate challenges involved in undertaking the task of or this task of developing hydrocarbon resources of the country. Uh, that where the challenges include, you know, infrastructure, lack of infrastructure, political tensions, weakness of institutions, um, or potential corruption of political actors, and insecurity brought by Al-Shabaab. Um, it's often pointed that those challenges combined with the uh, possible resource cars effect it can pose huge challenges for oil companies but also for Somalia itself to struggle and may potentially uh, put the country in, in a position of a renewed uh, determinant uh, and perpetual conflict that can undermine the nascent estate building and do away the gradual prog uh, progress that has been made so far in re-establishing Somalia. The basis of my argument is that, number one, if you look where Somalia traveled, you know, uh, and how Somalia traveled from the last 10 years in terms of institutional building, in terms of uh, laying out uh, regulatory frameworks, whether it is that relates to oil and gas or whether it relates to other aspects, you know, you can see that there has been a tremendous progress. And also in terms of, there has been progress in terms of uh, uh, reforming the Somali National Army, in terms of uh, establishing the institutions, uh, basic institutions of the state. I'm not saying it, uh, they are perfect, there are many problems, but I like to stay on the, on the uh, optimistic side, on, on the positive side. 
The other reason why I think Somalia is ready is, you know, uh, the issue of oil and, and oil exploration, as my, my, my friend Yakum uh, mentioned, it has been there since 1970, has been on the table in Somalia. And now, this could be one <clears throat> of the issues or one uh, major thing that fast tracks the, the stability, political stability, uh, social development, and uh, economic development of Somalia, but also on defeating Al-Shabaab. Because if you look, the major issue now in Somalia that relates to, 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 to this is the fact that institutions are weak. And the fact is that, that there is a, a tension and, 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 and tendency towards manipulation of, of those weak institutions. Those are, to me, not unique to Somalia, actually. I understand they, they, they create a lot of problems, but also uh, it's a reality that Somalia, time and again, has proven it can find uh, a point where things settle down. If you look now, the last conflict uh, on the election in Somalia, where the federal state wanted uh, one man, one vote, and the regional states were saying, look, you know, the time is very short. It's impossible. We do not co control uh, parts of the country. There are no institutions that can deliver uh, those. And this uh, election thing should have been planned and, and prepared for the last three years. If you look how they have settled, I mean, the political leaders, uh, by coming together, by discussing thoroughly, and by compromising, uh, it indicates that there is some sort of growing maturity, whether the institutions or whether the political actors. And whatever crisis uh, that is uh, political or otherwise in Somalia have some um, limits or threshold that when it reaches there, it has to settle down. And, and you know, that's one thing. When it comes to, to the potential uh, contributory factor that this could bring uh, to Somalia is, as Yakum already has mentioned, you know, it already drew attention to, you know, rebuilding the state and Somalia and, and generated interest from international actors and oil companies. And to me, that's very positive because of this could help, you know, stabilize the country, could help, you know, uh, sort out security challenges, including Al-Shabaab, including building institutions, but also could help creating, you know, uh, employment, uh, which is the most important aspect that uh, the security issue is connected to. Because of, as we know, Al-Shabaab uh, mainly recruits youngsters that are unemployed. So to me, I think uh, we can discuss about the detail, we can have a different views, but I, I, I realize there are a lot of challenges, including the infrastructure. But also, I think, to just cut a short, uh, that the time has come, you know, uh, Somali oil and gas resource to be explored, whatever incomplete, incomplete regulatory or frameworks could be uh, sorted out and, 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 and corrected. And I'm not supporting any corruption or whatever, you know, looting resource of Somali people, but I know somewhere at some point, 
you know, there has to be institutions of accountability. And those institutions are growing by the day. And given the social structure of, of Somali people, I don't think it's ultimately possible in Somalia that few individuals manipulate the entire destiny of, 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 of Somalis. Because of we, we, that is how we are structured. And, and the Somali people are very egalitarian, meaning that you have a sense of solidarity, whether the, that's based on, on clan or whether that's a cross clan. And at some point, there has to be, you know, uh, some common ground, regardless of the difference of actors and the different segments of the society. And all of those puts me uh, in, a, in a very positive and optimistic uh, uh, position uh, without closing my eyes to, to the many challenges uh, that Somalia has, you know, especially with regard to producing or exploring uh, oil and, and, and gas. I think I will finish uh, with this. Uh, I look forward, uh, you know, the, the question is so, to answer questions or and, and, and to discuss. Thanks so much, Mohammed. Um, so we're already getting a few questions in. Thanks for your questions. Please keep them coming. But um, also just to note that we have questions also coming in on Facebook, so we might not get around to answering all of them. Um, we'll see how we go for time. Um, if you would mind stating your name and affiliation, and also if your question is directed to anyone in particular on the panel, that would be helpful. So I'm going to hand it over to Abdus Salam, and I see that Claire has joined us, so she can follow on immediately afterwards, and then we'll give uh, Yokima a chance to um, reply to the discussants if you would like to. So, Abdus Salam. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Um, first, Yokim, uh, many thank you for your presentation. It is indeed an interesting analysis, uh, and you mentioned significant issues regarding the political marketplace of oil and gas sector in Somalia. I agree with some points in your presentation, such as the political, the potential corruption risks associated with awarding operational subcontracts to political elites. The current administration nominating key political positions in the pre-election period and the fact that overall legal and regulatory framework in Somalia is weak. Uh, furthermore, the security situation of the capital as well as many parts of Somalia is really uh, yet for a child. Uh, I also understand that oil and gas uh, exploration in Somalia can lead into conflicts and political instability, as mentioned in a UN report in 2014. However, the UN report further emphasized that Somalia can continue the oil exploration process only if the legislative and regulatory framework is, as well as stable institutions, are in place. Therefore, my viewpoint is that since all regulatory issues and legal uh, uh, legal and regulatory issues as well as the managing institutions are in place, then my viewpoint is that Somalia can continue this licensing process. Uh, and however, I would add few comments and suggestions on the core issues that you can discuss it. I'm of the view that despite the challenges being mentioned and the fact that Somalia is still recovering from political crisis, many areas of uh, uh, civil unrest, foreign intervention, extremism, I still believe that Somalia can continue its licensing process. Uh, one of the reasons that the current government is pushing toward this licensing oil uh, uh, sector is connected to several issues. First, on 5th June 2018, the federal government and the member states signed the Bader Agreement that concerns sharing ownership and management of natural resources. The agreement was signed by the ex-Prime Minister 
and the presidencies of the federal member states. This is the two-page, it is a two-page document which is written in Somali language. It's really perceived as a preliminary reference for the national resource sharing uh, in Somalia. Uh, this agreement also constitutes several important issues, including the key roles of Ministry of Petroleum and Mineral Resources, the Somali Petroleum Authority, uh, the Somali National Oil Company, and also establishment of sovereign wealth fund. Uh, second, the Somali parliament, both the upper and lower house, passed a petroleum law, which was later ratified by the president of Somalia in February 2020. Third, the government belief is that the legislative and regulatory framework, as well as agencies responsible for the management, supervision, and oversight of the oil and gas sector in Somalia is, is in place. As the member states signed the federal, as the, as the member states and the federal government of Somalia signed the Bedouin Agreement, uh, I believe that it is now the agreement is now considered as, as part of the constitution. Actually, this means that the legislative and legal regulatory framework that will regulate oil and gas sector in Somalia is in place. Therefore, my argument is for the support of the legislative process likely stems from several reasons. The first one is that Somalia is an independent country. It has it is right to decide its future. Uh, our uh, economy is underdeveloped. Our gross, gross, uh, gross domestic product uh, is only five billion US dollars. This is according to the latest statistics published by the Somali government. Almost 80% of GDP comes from the remittances and international development assistance. Nearly seven of 10 Somalis live in poverty. The country has predominantly young population with over 80% estimated to be the under, of the, under age of 35 and unemployment rate of Somalis close to 70%. As such, in the long term, our country cannot be dependent on foreign aid and international community support. Therefore, Somalia needs to exploit its fast and enormous gas and oil reserves. Uh, and also, it is uh, really, I, I would like us to mention that the present government, uh, uh, the issue of oil exploration has been central to its national uh, development policy. Uh, the current administration believes that future oil and gas revenues will be invested in vital sectors such as healthcare, education, security, social services, environment, infrastructure, reconciliation, and many more. Uh, it should also be noted that the seven blocks that are currently being auctioned is not in the disputed area, actually. Uh, therefore, the issue of maritime dispute between Kenya and Somalia has nothing to do with the currently existing uh, wrong. It's also, worth it's also worth mentioning that these seven blocks are only portion of Somalia's offshore. Here, the logic is that why we Somalis uh, cannot exploit our uh, oil reserves and, and see how it will shape our future. Uh, it's also important to know that the actual realization of the oil and gas may take several years, in fact. And the fact that oil and gas exploration uh, has a long history, dating back even from 1960s and early 1970s, the present government's efforts in realizing its oil and gas reserves and starting the process as early as possible is something commendable, actually. I, I, I must say we must be very thankful to them. Uh, so, and I still also agree with Joachim that corruption, particularly in the pre-election period, may be one of the factors that, push, that are pushing for the licensing process and that some officials, some government politicians may want informal quick cash. However, I'm still optimistic about the federal government respecting the Baidawa agreement, which also clearly 
mention is how the government and the member states will share fees and rentes. Uh, future, uh, I have also uh, finally to conclude my uh, some some kind of recommendations, and that is uh, the establishment of uh, independent wealth fund, uh, which may constitute all the member states and the federal government of Somalia will be responsible for receiving all revenues uh, from oil and gas. This may offer solution as well as reduce corruption. Uh, the legislative and related framework for managing the sector is at least implemented. Policymakers from across the country should abide and respect the already. Uh, uh, they should abide and respect the already legislative and regulatory framework in place. The federal government and the member states should cooperate in implementing all the agreed uh, regulations. Uh, also, the international community, uh, the international oil production companies, must also strictly abide by Somali's national laws. They should not start the exploration process without an adequate regulatory framework in place. As they have ample experience in this sector, they should also uh, help the Somali authority to reduce potential challenges that might arise. And my final comment is that to benefit from this sector requires the collaboration of all parties involved. We all know that in general, institutions are weak in Somalia, corruption is still prevalent, and short-term control of resources between political elites still exists. Therefore, the exploitation of Somalia's hydrocarbons should not be one that adds fuel to the fire. Exploration should only proceed if opportunities of benefiting from it outweigh potential risks associated with it. So my final conclusion is that uh, I am actually supporting the Somali government to start its licensing process. And the reason is I have already mentioned it is that we Somalis cannot be dependent on uh, foreign uh, assistance. We cannot be dependent on foreign intervention. Uh, the country needs uh, it is uh, institutions to, uh, to be to build. It needs uh, a lot of uh, uh, revenues, and that we cannot be in the future dependent on uh, oil, uh, dependent on international community support. That's my uh, emphasis, and thank you very much. Thanks so much, Abdulsalam. Um, Claire, I'm going to hand over to you. Yeah, did you want to go to some of the, the questions first and then have me chime uh, in? Go ahead and... and... No, I think I think if we could have your comments and then we'll we'll come back to the Q&A. So thank you, first and foremost, thank you, Joachim, for your research and all the discussants for their comments. Apologies for my own delay. It's a, I have a heavy teaching load today. Um, so yeah, so first and foremost, I wanted to thank Joachim, who's done a great job in highlighting the complexities of oil governance in Somalia. He outlines the challenges regarding how global standards and legislations are implemented and how various stakeholders, state, non-state, and international compete and speculate during a critical period of pre-oil production. We have a strong understanding in academia and a lot of the policy work of the natural resource curse the greed and grievance paradigm, but we know less about the politics of pre-production and as it may set the course of governance and discourse for the rest of the resource exploitation process. I want to highlight three issues that Joaquin's research um, and findings draw attention to and as they should inform thinking, analysis, and policy moving forward and all the contemporary debates that are being brought up in the Q&A. First regards the issue of corruption, as Joachim has, has highlighted, and transparency in terms of implementation gaps, but also as it pertains to broader gaps within global good governance standards. 
As Joachim rightly argues, in addition to nation institutions and the ruling coalition's stronghold over them right now, is the issue of licensing, which, li which lies at the core of transparency issues in Somalia at the moment. Licensing and the link between petroleum and procurement legislation is one of the lowest so scoring subcomponents of the 2018 Resource Governance Index across Africa. So this is an issue, this is a perennial issue across the continent. And the focus on licensing exposes a number of important issues including economic intersectionality and the range of economic activities around oil production, including infrastructure contracting and logistics, and poor global standards that govern the behavior and actions of multilateral multinational corporations around licensing as to when companies can and should intervene. The failure to comply with rules for contract disclosure, as well as delays and incompleteness, have been a perennial cause of national and regional disputes in Somalia and Somaliland since 2012, but also earlier, as we know. Soma Oil, DP World, the list is numerous, and they're all interconnected. And that is largely an issue of implement implementation, but also kind of a misunderstanding of how we understand transparency um, and the role of parliament and public debate, civil society over these activities. Botswana and Zambia, in terms of Africa, are specific cases where licensing authorities have improved the transparency of allocation processes, publishing requirements, and the rules of, of disclosing contracts online. Yet, and this is what I want to draw attention to, such transparency institutions and measures around contracts and oversight are unequipped to deal with issues of illicit financial flows, transparency in networks, including beneficial ownership schemes, and the opacity of transnational capital. At the heart of Somalia's oil agony is certainly the political funding associated with signature bonuses and speculative futures, as it breeds political competition and corruption, but also is the nature of transnational elite networks, their perceived collusion with foreign and multinational corporations, Hassan Kaira and the Norwegians, and the autonomous agency of often smaller companies that glide under the radar, skirting around global governance standards, exploiting local institutions and populations. It's these loopholes in the transparency and good governance agenda more broadly that, that lead to political and national disputes. The, the second point regards the dubious record of oil resource sharing arrangements as the foundation for enduring political deals and political settlements in federal and non-federal structures. And a recent study of Uganda, which is very different than Somalia obvious, for, for obvious reasons, but which is frequently lauded for its quality of oil governance, Sam Hickey outlines how its successes are due to the political support and autonomy offered to pockets of bureaucratic effectiveness within its oil assemblage. He indicates that this is sustained because power is concentrated and around ideas of resource and development nationalism. South Sudan is of course a harrowing example of how even the promises of access to, the oil, to oil revenues that perhaps incentivize the SPLA to agree to the comprehensive peace agreement, nonetheless failed to secure its maintenance. In late January 12, 2012, the government of South Sudan made the unprecedented decision to shut down oil production as a result of impasse in political negotiations between Juba and Khartoum that deprived political elites within the South Sudan of resources 
and ultimately leading to the violent fragmentation of the political marketplace and the eruption of civil war. The risk now in Somalia is that the preeminence of oil is becoming the primary binding and bargaining chip between federal member states and the federal government that leave federal arrangements open to shocks, especially amidst global recessions, low oil markets, and strategies for more sustainable energy. Other governance, other governance um, indicators are going to be overshadowed by the preeminence of oil. We have seen how oil and the attendant links to maritime capitalism and trading infrastructure have become central to federal politics. The authoritarian tendencies of Fromage's administration to influence elections in Hirshabelle, Southwest State, and Gamaduk, and their efforts to, in order to rush the new petroleum law and control the Somali, Somali Petroleum Agency are a case in point. As Joachim highlights, the Financial Governance Committee has raised concern not only about the nature of the, this relationship between the federal government and the federal member states, but also about significant disparities in the revenue shares between the federal member states, and therefore advised in June 2020 that the terms of the agreement be, re be reviewed periodically. At the core of all federal constitutional arrangements across Africa and more broadly is the issue of resource sharing. And in Somalia, federal member states are fighting for the principles of federalism to supersede centralism. However, beyond ex existing institutional arrangements and the implementation gaps is a need to understand also the local discourse on transparency that operates in dialogue with, but also beyond existing reform agendas. And the role of the business community is critical here as well. In, in order to understand how they can be potential positive allies and medi mediating the political crisis, as well as potential activists um, in, its, in, in perpetuating poor governance. Um, so those are kind of just a few of my comments and I'll kind of, I'll leave it to kind of also situate Somalia in a broader context of what we know about oil governance. Obviously it's a big, widely um, documented discourse, and the, the, the point was just to highlight a few kind of of the issues I see going forward that Joachim has addressed, and also the issue of how we understand transparency and corruption, and how it's understood in kind of global standards is still a, there's a lot of, a lot of um, further work that needs to be done, and that's my main point. Okay, thanks very much, Claire. Um, okay, so we have some questions and I want to get onto them as quick as possible, but it's only fair to give Joachim a, a chance to um, reply if you would like to, to um, if you want to say anything in reply to any of the panelists' points, then please. Yes. Um, thank you, Claire, Mohammed, and Abdisalam for your interesting comments. Uh, I think they're very good uh, comments because they kind of, uh, uh, it triggers some some thoughts also for in terms of clarification. I think Claire pushes the the button when it comes to the by mentioning corruption and transparency as being some of the key issues here. And uh, one can say that the legislative process and uh, the uh, notion of institutionalization in Somalia in regards to the oil sector has had a very long history. It's actually <laughs> it's actually began in 2008. And, uh, and, you know, it has taken this long until now, until, you know, some of the institutions and some of the legislative framework, frameworks are starting to come into place. And, uh, and, and what's been happening in that history and uh, the reasons for the delays is where 
some of the illumination of the problems actually uh, uh, lies. Uh, but first, I want to say that, that, that some of your comments also reflects a little bit of the illusion around petroleum in, 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 in Somalia, which also have been driving a lot of uh, blind support forward, which is this is going to generate employment, education, uh, healthcare sector, investments, etc. And I would be so cheeky to say, no, it's not. Not until 10, 20 years from now. Okay, so there's not going to be any immediate effects out of this, not at all. Okay, that doesn't mean that Somalia shouldn't have its own uh, revenue sources and, uh, and become less dependent on the external. By all means, yes, uh, that's what we want. But it's very important for that to happen, that the institutional process has been done thoroughly, uh, that it has full transparency and that there is full backing uh, to it. And th this is where I want to content uh, 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 the comment. And yes, uh, the law was passed, but not in full agreement. Puntland didn't take part in it. They stepped out and actually walked out of the session. Uh, so Puntland actually declare, uh, declares that they are not in this petroleum law right now. Okay. Uh, so what is the status of a law if there's a federal member state that's not in it? The whole issue about Somaliland is outstanding. It's not in there. Then how are you going to solve that issue, right? Uh, the recent story uh, that I focused on from my blog uh, and until now uh, on the Somalia Petroleum Authority is very important. Uh, and uh, many people kind of dismisses it uh, as not being very important. But this is actually extremely important. First of all, yes, it had to be established within six months after the law was signed. The law having controversies in itself. There's a general agreement about the Baidoa agreement, but there's also concerns. Uh, nevertheless, the Somalia Petroleum Authority uh, is going to have a very independent uh, role in terms of negotiating the production sharing agreements in the future. And uh, uh, the members is actually going to have a high level of permanence. So whoever sits in this board and control this board is clearly very, very important, yeah? Uh, and who they have connections with and what is the access is going to be very important. So it's not a casual matter, right? So rushing that through, and hence the title of this presentation, what's the rush? What's the oil rush, yeah? Why rush it, you know? So you are in the process, but it's not complete. Why rush to doing the oil licensing while it is not completely ready yet? Yeah, and as, as mentioned, I mean, there's outstanding legislative issues. First of all, the model production sharing agreement needs to be aligned with the Procurement Act. The Extractive Industries Income Tax Bill has not been passed yet. There cannot be done oil licenses until that law has been passed. Yeah? Uh, other elements are, as you mentioned, the accountability institutions. Yes, they're in the process of being implemented, but they're not ready yet. Yeah. So, you know, whatever that's going to happen in terms of disputes, if uh, the justice sector is not being more um, reliable and considered less corrupt than is the case right now, there's going to be a problem, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the parliamentary committees, uh, there's a lack of a constitutional court, but the parliamentary committees, they need to have 
capabilities. And this is one of the things that the international partners have been neglecting very much. As much as they put resources into the central bank and the Ministry of Finance to set up uh, financial management information systems, they have not put equal resources into the oversight institutions' uh, capabilities of doing independent uh, investigations into uh, the issues under their resort. National Resource Council or Commission, or what, whatever it's going to call, uh, be called, which was part of the Baidoa Agreement, has to be set up. Somaliland is an entire different issue, but Somaliland is in the process of issuing its own uh, 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 petroleum law and uh, production sharing agreements with General Energy and RAC Gas. Yeah? Uh, the actual status of the agreements with TGS and Somoil, which is now called uh, Coastal Explorations, uh, are examples of the lack of transparency. Yeah? And the best thing the Ministry of Petroleum and the government could do is to put all the documents on the table, put all the agreements out there uh, and have them reassessed uh, and have the parliamentary committees do this, right? We need that to be done to get the shadow to go away. Otherwise, it's going to stay there. Hence, the issue of the oil blocks that are for sale, the seven oil blocks, avoiding uh, the maritime zone, yes. The issue, and I've not been talking about the maritime issue with, uh, with Kenya and the disputed area, but the seven blocks avoided all the 12 blocks that Somer Oil wanted. Yeah? And that raises the question, why? All right? So that's something that needs to be clarified. Yeah? For establishing trust in the sector. You know? It's not only whether, you know, okay, maybe you are doing things right, but if nobody believes you and there's no trust, then you have political instability yeah? and misperceptions. Right? And that's not healthy. Uh, and finally, uh, the, the, the Somalia has not signed up for the International Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, uh, which is you know, a Norwegian-based initiative uh, setting the global standards for good governance of oil and mineral resources. I think it's very important that they show that they want to do that and they want to implement these things. Hence, uh, benefits are not going to be happening 10 years from now. Yeah? So why not get everything right before you start pushing it? Yeah? And why does this sudden push happen? All of a sudden, you know, procrastination from 2016, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and then 20 legislation getting rushed. Why? Election time, right? Uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> Uh, okay, thanks very much. I feel like the panelists might want to reply, but perhaps we can go on to the Q&A and, and in the course of them. Okay, Mohammed, if you, if you want to very briefly um, get back on that point. Thank you so much. Uh, I find this debate and the presentation of Yakum very interesting, actually. But there are two, two, two issues. Number one is, do you think we should have been any institutions if we would have waited building a proper state in Somalia. How the entire state building started, Yakum knows very well, and I hope other panelists know very well. You know, it started with a holding conference for the warlords, and then creating some transitional government, reforming the transitional government, are making second transitional government and then permanent government 
and then another government, federal government, taking over, and in between establishing federal member states. So if you look this process, you know, it tells you two things. One is you will never find in the nature of this life, you know, everything perfect and in place. No, everything will always be incomplete. Even the most advanced institutions in the West, always there are, there are reformers. You have to, to, to devise new regulations. You have to adapt, you know, the framework of the institution. And that's the perspective I'm coming from. Meaning that, you know, I'm saying, we can improve things along the way because of there has been improvements. If you, if you see from where it started, the whole process of state building, and I believe personally, you know, this oil uh, thing could improve, you know, could improve the state institutions, uh, could establish, you know, in a way, mechanisms for transparency, could help in good governance, and could help in defeating Al-Shabaab, you know, because of largely the, the, the problem of Al-Shabaab exists due to unemployment of, of, of the Somalian youngsters. And also it could affect the issue of migration, you know. We, we Somalis, we have so many youngsters, you know, dying in the, 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 uh, along the sea or along the desert, you know. Uh, smuggling uh, from, from Somalia all the way to, to Sudan and the desert between Sudan and Libya, and, and then uh, taking the risk of, uh, of, of, of traveling to, to Europe through a boat. Uh, I, sorry, well, Mohammed, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to make sure that we have time for some of the questions. I realize that um, uh, that also after Sanan has um, replied, but would we be able to go to the questions and perhaps we can return to this point? Um, okay, so we have a number of questions um, and they are not addressed to anyone in particular, so I think they're open to all of the panelists to um, reply to. Um, the first one is from Abdullahi Hagi and it is, um, Somalia isn't ready for oil exploration because we don't have the laws uh, in place to protect the environment. Fishery, the fishery industry is more important than the oil and gas industry and uh, we expect that renewable energy is the future and fossil energy is the past. So the question is, what is the oil rush that you're talking about with, with this climate where ROI is not good and supply of energy is way more than demand? Um, and a second question I'll, I'll put to you all is from Patrick Mollier. Um, all those discussions, uh, I think this is in reference to Joachim's uh, initial presentation, avoid the main issue. How could an unknown and unexperienced new company get blocks the best as per the Spectrum seismic results? How come the oil minister asked Spectrum to give all Spectrum data on a free of charge basis to some oil coastline exploration under their new name? Um, so if, if any of you would like to address those points, um, then I'll hand it over to you. I would like to, to address uh, Abdullahi Hatch's uh, question of uh, where he, he stated that uh, the marine resources are more important than oil. I believe, you know, Somali marine resources uh, have a huge potential for development and to generate a lot of uh, uh, wealth. And I believe, you know, environmental mitigation strategies and proper mechanism is to protect the environment to be put in place, you know. 
But that does not mean, you know, uh, not uh, exploring or extracting oil and gas. Somalia can diversify its different resources, develop its different resources, and along the way establish whatever mechanisms and institutions that's needed. And if you look, one of the things that uh, when you look deeply about, about Somalia and, and how things progressed for the last 10 years is, you know, institutions are fast learning. Society is, uh, you know, capable and very resilient. Um, I, I, I don't think, you know, Somalia could ever be a dictatorship. And just to cut a short example of this is uh, the tendency, previous, uh, the tendency, initial tendency of the federal government under the leadership of uh, President uh, uh, Mohamed Abdullah Farmacho was just to do away federalism. And they used it for the last three years to do away all regional states. But they never succeeded. Because, and the reason is we have social structure and there are mechanisms embedded in, in that social structure. And we are very autonomous as a society. So many individuals are very autonomous. And, you know, politicians or whatever elite is, they have to pay at some point you know, uh, uh, the price of, of, of whatever, trying to manipulate the, the, the system and authority. And in that sense, that's why I am more optimistic about things, uh, possibility of improving things and making things function. I mean, whether it is oil uh, extraction or whether it is marine resource development or whether it is, you know, uh, building up infrastructure. Thanks. Yeah, Yukim. Uh, and also, if, if anyone would like to address the other question from Patrick about um, the unknown company. Um, yeah, Yukim. Just briefly um, uh, to Mohammed as well on, uh, on the first question. Um, I need to emphasize that, that uh, the employment benefits uh, and the financial revenue benefits to Somalia are not going to materialize substantially, uh, not even within the first 10 years, okay? Uh, I think you, you, you need to, to, to take a deep breath and, and accept that fact. And also the kind of investments that we are talking about, yeah? I mean, an oil rig costs in the neighborhood of $150 million, yeah? So the only ones who really can do that Responsibly for you would be the oil majors who can raise this kind of capital, right? And the oil majors, they need to know that some of the basic structures are substantially well enough in place for them to trust the investments, right? Companies like Soma Oil and, and Coastal Exploration, which now uh, plays a little bit into to Patrick Moliere's question, uh, is that uh, these companies are not going to raise this kind of capital for you, right? And this kind of companies is the kind of companies you need to avoid, yeah? So the problem is that if you're rushing the oil licensing round through now, and you're selling out now for some very fast benefits, it's going to be like peeing in your, in your pants in winter time in Norway to keep warm. You know, you know how fast you're going to get even more cold afterwards. Yeah, because these oil licenses will most likely go to uh, the, the, the intermediate types of companies. Yeah, 
who don't have the capital, who are just waiting and going to keep their licenses to flipping them on later on, right? Right? And there will be enough uh, uh, resources in that for uh, uh, whoever acts will be able to capitalize uh, on those funds, okay? So to, to Patrick's question about Spectrum Oil and, and, uh, and uh, Summer Oil, um, yes, I did hear the rumor that uh, apparently uh, the government uh, had uh, asked Spectrum Oil to give away their, uh, uh, their survey data for free to someone. Well, I mean, we don't know, but this is exactly uh, the kind of uh, things that you don't want to happen. Yeah, because if, if the oil licenses go to this kind of companies, even in 10 years time, you won't start having any benefit. That's why, even though it's taking a long time, yes, there has been progress. I do not disagree with that. It's just not finished yet. Thanks very much. Um, would either Abdus Salam or Claire like to add to that before I uh, continue with the questions? Okay. Um, so. Uh, Oh, we have a, a third question from, um, sorry, we have a lot of questions. I'm just looking through them. Uh, um, a question from Dr. Ahmed Hertzi from the Institute for Peace, Security and Development, who says, oil and gas exploration started in Somalia in the 1950s and 60s with a total of 70 wells drilled, 80% of which were onshore. Many major companies, including ExxonMobil, BP, Texaco and Shell, were active in the region at the time. In the 60s, before civil unrest stifled the sector, five discoveries were made, but all were considered sub-commercial. What, um, what is your perspective on that? Um, and then they have a cheeky second question. Um, <laughs> it's only supposed to be one question, but uh, Somali oil and gas potential faces institutional gaps. How do you read that? And third, do you think that Western oil exploration in Somalia may spark conflict? Um, uh, the last question? You can repeat it. Um, do you think that Western oil exploration in Somalia may spark conflict? Um, and again, I think that's open to, to all of you. Uh, Mohammed, please. Uh, thank you so much. I would uh, like to focus on the last question of the issue of oil exploration uh, being able to cause uh, potentially could cause conflict. I, I believe uh, that that would not be the case because of you know Somalia now has this is my view has done with the conflict all the conflict you have that's left in Somalia is the issue of al-Shabaab. But then whatever conflict is that are there are just the political conflicts and there is no active uh, confrontation, uh, militarizer, whatever uh, battlefield is in Somalia left. <clears throat> this being uh, said, I, I, I do think, you know, there could be some political conflicts, but that will not end as an active confrontation, I mean, uh, military or whatever confrontation, but with different parts. And there are two reasons for this. 
One is uh, the Somali population is tired of a conflict. Um, 30 years of, of, of chaos and conflict is more than enough. Now what you have is just the political issues and, and political contestation rather than active conflict. This is beyond Al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab is there and they, they have a, you know, they are active in waging uh, terror attacks. And the other reason is, you know, uh, Yakum has uh, published extensively on this. We have, in Somali society, we have institutions, traditional institutions, and those are very good in, 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 in accessing uh, different political elites, putting pressure on them, uh, sorting out uh, potential conflicts, and we did, and they are still very effective. So those, uh, for those two reasons, I don't think this could lead uh, 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 confrontational conflict, if I could say that. But there could be tensions from time to time until uh, you have some sort of uh, political settlement and those things. Thanks. Uh, Yakim. In terms of the, the, the last question, you know, following up on Mohammed Gaz, I don't think uh, it would immediately spark spark any open conflict in that sense. But I mean, it's, it can it definitely there's definitely political conflict uh, as yet, and uh, well, it remains to see how how the situation and the issue with Puntland is going to be sorted out. Of course, yeah. And in that, you know, uh, such as the sorting out of the Galmuduk administration and Southwest states, where uh, what appears is that that uh, unwritten and unpublished games about promises, in which, for instance, uh, the construction of Hopio Port uh, played a major role in solving the the Southwest states. And how money flew around, and uh, for what purpose? And uh, and 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 what, what was clear was that half was not very happy, you know, in terms of uh, of the of of the oil legislative process that was ongoing. And uh, hobby port is an old dream. Uh, I've been spoken with a number of Somali actors, you know, back in 2010-11 in the in in the Westgate where a lot of them say like to before it was attacked, yeah, uh, there would be people asking me, what do you think about Hobbio and the Hobbio ports? And uh, I ask, you know, so what about Hobbio ports? And they would say, well, uh, you know, it's uh, of major financial importance for what? An oil pipeline. An oil pipeline for what? Linking to Ethiopia, right? Uh, so there's onshore oil, most likely in Gamaduk. There's the offshore oil. There's the um, uh, the oil fields in the Somalia region, where you know where Hobio would be the closest place to to bring an uh, an, an oil pipeline for export. Obviously, now um, I would be extremely surprised if that did not play a role in 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 in, in the brokering games. Now the issue is, uh, in terms of of, uh, of 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 major benefits, uh, I don't think the institutional gaps are there. I I mentioned them uh, to the second question. Um, in terms of the uh, perspectives of uh, of the of the um, 
where the oil fields uh, may be, and in the past it was 80%. I mean, the focus has gone on the offshore oil for two reasons. Largely because that's where the uh, some oil and spectrum carried out uh, their, their, their surveys. So that's where we have the most recent data. And uh, there are rumors of covert data, which you know can't be confirmed, but I have seen some of the notes which comes from intelligence sources and which uh, are so detailed that you know they can't be completely random, but there has been, uh, according to these notes, I can't confirm it, that there is petroleum in, uh, in, in Lower Shabella, uh, in the Shabella Basin, and then also onshore in, in, in Galmaduk. Uh, we the past uh, 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 surveys showed that there was major uh, uh, gas uh, potentials on the Coriolis and uh, and the bases uh, around these places, you know, and uh, and this is the areas in which uh, there's major attention uh, of the conflict with Al Jabam is particularly there. It's uh, an area where. Uh, there's the increasingly attention of development aid from both UK and US side. Uh, have, there's a large concentration of aid. I know it's going to be justified by this is also where you will have the greatest humanitarian risks. Uh, the Americans, they want military bases. They have pilot Douglas they want to set up in kilometer 50. Uh, there's recently been constructed an, an airstrip in, uh, in Barawa. Um, very fine. Um, um, I think it's a it's an open question, and also all ha uh, it's a question of how how the process is is being uh, is being managed. Yeah, uh, I would be very cautious to reduce the issues of conflict in Somalia to only a question of uh, of war with Al Jabab, uh, because uh, as being involved in Somalia over the 20, past 20 years and being there on the ground when Al-Shabaab uh, uh, arose, uh, I never saw Al-Shabaab as the, a completely foreign entity that has completely nothing to do and is not playing into uh, the conflicts uh, between the Somali clans. So there's, there's a whole spectrum there. It's a little bit more complex than that, I'm afraid. Mm. Okay, thank you. Um, we are, we're just past 20 past four. We have permission from comms to run a bit late, so um, we can go for an extra 15 minutes. But if you could try and keep your um, answers and quite any further questions um, as brief as possible, that would be great, so we can get through some more. Um, so the next question is from Hassan Mudain. Um, given that Puntland has declared itself outside the petroleum law, that Somali, Somaliland remains a separate entity and election processes and outcomes in other member states have been extremely controversial, it's not clear what the status of the law in fact is, nor whether it's possible to complete the SPA in time. For instance, an obvious question is, what would the status of the SPA be if several FMS are not present in its board in accordance with the law? And what is the pr um, procedure for nominating the board members? And then I'm going to add another question um, from Abdel Nasser Mohammed, um, which is, the governance of Somalia is very poor and the po politicians don't have the capacity and understanding to handle, mem handle matters that are important for the Somali people. A good example is vote selling and buying in election times 
as Mr. Gondal confirms um, as well. Also, the government doesn't control the whole country. Don't you think it's absurd to talk about Somali petroleum um, and it's only the greed of the international countries and companies pushing it? So I'll open that up to um, Abdus Salam, please. Yes, um, thank you very much. Um, I will try to answer the question from Hassan Mubane. And actually, um, as Joachim also mentioned, we have to remember that the petroleum, the process of petroleum law started in 2008 and both the federal government of Somalia and the international community has really invested in this uh, finalization of this petroleum law actually. And also uh, we have to mention that uh, the mem federal member states, uh, including Puntland, uh, have signed the Beda agreement actually, uh, which is now being considered as part of the constitution. Uh, coming to the SBA, uh, as far as we know, the federal uh, government of Somalia will nominate two representatives and each uh, member state will nominate one representative. That means Butland can have its share and can nominate one person. Uh, it's according up to, the, up to them. And, and it's that uh, there are certain professional qualifications or criteria that's required each member to fulfill. Uh, so what I believe is that since the international community has heavily invested on finalization of petroleum law, uh, there has been resource share agreement, production share agreement. The federal member states came together in 2018, including Puntland, have signed the petroleum, uh, the, the resource share agreement, which really specifies or which is really perceived as the document, a preliminary reference for national resource sharing. So I believe that uh, when it's, uh, all this kind of regulatory uh, framework is in place, uh, the government, the federal uh, government of Somalia is also ready uh, to open dialogue and talks with the member states. Uh, so uh, we should not be saying that, okay, Bootland is not part of the, uh, of the, of the, of the licensing process. Somaliland declared its independence many years ago. So we should not say that we should wait then, actually. We should wait Puntland and Somaliland. But I, I, what I, my, my viewpoint is that uh, it is the, it's the government of Somalia, the federal government of Somalia, which has the mandate of the Somali people. It has the right to continue this licensing process. Uh, my recommendation would be that the federal, gov federal government of Somalia should try to satisfy, should negotiate, should uh, open a dialogue with Puntland and maybe Somaliland, uh, and, and, and should also persuade them that this is for the Somali people, we're gonna benefit it. We uh, should have to start the licensing process as soon as possible. And everybody knows that the licensing process of Somalia has started you know, in 1960s and early 1970s. So how long it will, we may wait uh, until uh, we exploit our natural resources. So the process should start, we should test different blocks that are currently being optioned. And a lot of um, and oil exploration companies have shown an interest uh, to go into contract. Uh, the international community is helping Somalia also to uh, best use their uh, fast, uh, enormous natural uh, resources. So I believe that, um, and uh, we should not say that uh, SBA is, is uh, we, we can say that SBA, there is controversy actually, but that can also be resolved easily. It is, it's all about dialogue. If Bundesland and, 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 and federal member states and, and the government of Somalia sit together, they can agree on, on the formulas of revenue sharing, on who will represent from member states and so on. 
that's my contribution to the question from Hassan Mullah. Uh, yes, you can. Actually, very brief. Uh, it's, it's a high-stake political power game. Actually, because uh, with a very high risk, yeah. Uh, because if you push forward and playing the power game on them, saying, "Okay, we're just going ahead without you," and then you can come along, and then they will lose influence if they don't come along, right? Uh, the high risk is that you are pushing to the fragmentation, right? And uh, then you are playing a high game, you know, that, okay, ultimately, uh, you know, they will have to, uh, to creep in because uh, we, we, we have the power. And uh, to play this game is in line with, I think you mentioned yourself, of uh, how, how uh, the Famacho regime has uh, playing the centralization cards and wants to actually does not want the federal member states at the end of the day, right? And uh, for this reason, also have been playing some controversial games of getting what uh, one could say is proxy governments in place in Kalmaduk and Southwest states, etc. And here's your pillar, no? So, so the SPA, uh, it was mentioned, it was asked, you know, what, what's the procedure for, 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 for appointing the, uh, the members? And uh, 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 briefly, I don't see other than stating that there should be two members from the federal member states doesn't actually say anything about the procedure of how these are being appointed, right? So if you take it from the point of view of personalized politics, then what we see is that it's the presidents in the different uh, states that are appointing this. Uh, they have to be appointed according to qualifications, yeah? Uh, but there has not been a, a procedure, a vetting procedure or anything uh, like that or a, a commission, it, hasn't, it, it just happened. And when it just happened, it happened in the context of a cabinet vacuum, which basically, according to the, if you have, which is unconstitutional. So if you have to get that right, now that there is a prime minister, and as soon as he has appointed a new uh, uh, cabinet, if you want to rectify this, they have to reappoint uh, a cabinet, uh, a Somali Petroleum Authority, all over again. Thanks. Um, okay, well, I think we will ask this perhaps as a final question um, uh, from O. Yusuf. Um, so to you, Kim, uh, you mentioned Gulf countries and the UK. What's Norway's role? Uh, Spectrum in TGS or Norwegian? And actually, I'm sure the other panelists might like to comment on that as well. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Norway's role uh, is, is, a, is different than the UK and the US in the sense that they um, uh, do not have oil companies with old legacy concessions that they want to defend or anything like that. Uh, but they engaged uh, in, in, in terms of uh, the EEC zone early on already in 2007, 8, 9. Uh, and we're pushing for, for, for this economic zone. Uh, but at that time, out of an interest coming from the, uh, the disputed maritime zone with Kenya, because that oil, the Norwegian oil company, had interest in the, in the disputed uh, zone at that time. Eventually, they fell out with the Kenyans, 
and uh, and uh, the interest then changed uh, increasingly uh, towards Somalia. Uh, Norway has also been playing a role, which, you know, I mean, formally speaking, was also interesting in terms of helping institution building, helping governance, uh, and uh, wanting to push forward for for um, for oil interests as well in 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 what you know Mohammed and Abdi Salama also mentioning, you know, in terms of generating uh, income and revenue uh, in in Somalia. Um, but I mean, there's also the commercial interest. Spectrum, which is now owned by TGS or merged with TGS, which is a part Norwegian and American uh, 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 company. I mean, their their interest right now uh, is to get the oil licensing going. Why? Because their business model is to sell the uh, survey data. Yeah. So the sooner the oil licensing can go, go on, they can get the investment for their surveys coming back in. Um, then there's uh, a question of uh, to what extent uh, Norway has been uh, helping Somalia to build a, um, an oil trust fund. Uh, but uh, I contacted Norad and they said, well, not really. Uh, we don't have done that, uh, but we have uh, probably had it as part of some of our training programs to uh, to uh, the Ministry of Finance. Uh, you thank you thank you so much okay i think um we're we're gonna wrap it up in a in a minute or two but um i'd like to invite the um panelists if you have any final comments and mohammed i think you would like to add something yeah thank you so much <clears throat> as far as i am aware about uh, uh norway and its involvement in somalia is I think Norway has been doing a lot of good job in terms of, as Jakob said, institutional building, capacity building, establishing financial systems in Somalia. And those are the things that actually uh, will matter or matter for, for Somalis and for the country's stability and, and, and progress. Uh, on the top of this, I have been in Somalia uh, last year. And I have traveled far and wide across Somalia. Wherever I go, actually, I, I could see, you know, some schools or uh, hospitals or other uh, projects funded by Norway. Uh, that is to the credit of, of, of Norway. But then whatever a prime minister or former speaker of the parliament he does, you know, I don't think it reflects about, about Norway. <laughs> so... I think Somalis are very grateful to, to Norway and other international donors that has been, you know, helping and providing different is, sources of uh, relief and humanitarian aid, but as also on development and capacity building and institutional building. Um, but then whatever is there, whatever questions that are there, I, I'm sure it could be sorted out, actually. And, and, and one of the very good things about uh, Norway is they have a very good experience in terms of transparency when it comes to, to oil and, and, and establishing oil funds and, and managing oil resources, you know, and revenues. And, they, and I think those are the kind of experiences Somalia needs. And that's very welcome. Thanks, Mohammed. Um, Claire and Abdeslam, um, 
Would you like to make a final? Just a brief comment. I think it, it also kind of supports the point I was trying to make also about transparency in networks. You know, it's a very minor point. But again, it's this association between the speaker, former Speaker of Parliament and now former Prime Minister and Norway and the extent to which as Norwegian diaspora that they're pushing, that they're being used to kind of push through certain um, agendas. And the fact that that's probably, as we know, not the case or in certain ways, not the case. But that, that kind of relation, that, that understanding and the perception um, and the fact that probably we don't discuss enough about what Norway is doing that's good. And there's a whole, it's been looked at quite a lot, the issues that Norway has in terms of transparency and development and foreign policy agendas more generally um, and in Somalia, but also elsewhere. So they do have issues in combating these allegations as well, but we could probably do more in Somalia to also to clarify that there is good, they are training, you know, they're training within the Ministry of Petroleum. Um, and they are allowing Somalia through the NOR fund to apply and to qualify for debt relief. You know, there's a whole nother relationship now between Norway's involvement and pushing Somalia to qualify for debt relief. And we, I don't know if we've talked about the relationship between oil and debt relief, um, but I know Joachim touches on it in his paper. So I think, again, it's, 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 you know, the extent to which Kaira's relationship with Norway also ultimately led to his dismissal. I mean, that, that's a big, the big factor, the, the perception that he was pushing through his self-interest. Um, so again, perceptions, transparency, as it relates not only to funds and to documents, but also to people and to perceptions of what interests are being served by whom um, is a big factor in Somalia and for any future oil interests will be there needs to be, you know, clarity on those factors. Thanks, Claire. Um, okay, it looks like the final word goes to you, Abdus Yes, actually, um, as far as I guess, Spectrum and TDS are uh, trying to sell uh, their data to potential uh, oil companies who are planning to uh, do exploration in Somalia. Uh, and as far as the government of Norway is concerned, actually, there are close to 45 or 42,000 Somalis uh, living in Norway. And the Norwegian government has been uh, really helping Somalia uh, in terms of, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, that it tells you through it is international agencies like the Norwegian Refugee Council, Norwegian Church Aid, and uh, the government of Norway has been uh, supporting the Somali government actually uh, in, in different ways. Uh, and, and they're all in Nairobi. Uh, the Kenyan, uh, the, the, the Somali office, East Africa office in, in Kenya, is also uh, investing or, or supporting many projects that are currently being run in Somalia. So uh, the issue of Norway, uh, there could be some uh, interest uh, companies that have some commercial interest uh, to sell either their data uh, to, ex uh, to, to be part of the exploration process. Uh, but again, also Norway has a good experience. It's one of the oil uh, producing countries and it could be that the Norwegian government is going to support the Somali government in terms of institutional capacity building, in terms of telling them what's good when it comes to petroleum uh, uh, law, when it comes to how resources can be shared, because it has a good model. Uh, the Norwegian is leading their duties for the sake of for their future generations. So I think there is a lot of benefit from Norway, both in terms of these uh, uh, consultants companies that are selling their uh, data 
to potential uh, oil exploration companies, and also the state of Norway that's also helping the government of Somalia. Uh, it could be also uh, relating to humanitarian assistance and development assistance uh, funding that's also coming from Norway. So uh, I'm really uh, optimistic that the Norwegian government is, is providing a good support to Somalia, uh, and, 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 and it's something that's uh, commendable actually. Perfect. Okay, thank you. I think we're going to have to draw uh, to a close, um, but I want to thank you all again um, for your expertise and sharing them this afternoon. Um, so this was this would be when we would have a round of applause, but um, Yaqeem Mohammed of the Salaam, Claire, um, thank you so much for joining us and for everybody who's tuned in today. Um, just to... Um, uh, add that we have uh, another Somalia event on the 10th of November on the Galkayo peace agreement um, and please do join us for that if you're free um, and uh, a very good evening afternoon to everyone thank you